It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show today. Today my guest is Miles Austin, blogger, speaker, author, trainer, and one of our industry's leading experts on sales tools that can help you grow your sales. Miles, how are you doing today? Fantastic, Andy. Glad to be here with you and looking forward to our conversation. Oh, great. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this. So you can find Miles online at fillthefunnel.com, but he'll give you more information on that later. So, Miles, rather than having me do some extended introduction, read a bio that you provided me. Why don't you just introduce yourself to the guests, tell us what you do and who you do it for. Thanks. I appreciate it, Andy. Yes, look, um, I mean, you already hit the key piece. I, my base, my home base, the place where all of my work emanates from is fillthefunnel.com. I've been a sales guy for over 30 years now, and about eight years ago, um, I left my last job. I sold my last company where I was uh, um, the leader and the founder of a, of a sales organization selling technology. And I thought, you know what, what I really love doing, I'm just going to start sharing some tips and some pointers and some um, highlights of web tools, of technology that's helping people in sales really grow and expand. And I had no idea where it was going to go. I was really kind of doing it more just for the fun of it and uh, to share some ideas and, and some observations with some friends of mine. And eight years later, I'm still doing and I've written, I don't know, over a thousand posts total. And uh, um, I, it's, it's led to an amazing third career for me and I've had a ball. Yeah, except now people are paying you for that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. Never enough, Andy. Never enough. <laughs> So let's start back at the beginning. How did you get your start in sales? Well, I was going to school. Um, I was uh, going to uh, Colorado State University, and I was an athlete on scholarship. I was a runner, believe it or not. Really? This fat old body used to be a sprinter. Uh-huh. And um, it was my junior year, and uh, in track season, there's a indoor season and an outdoor season. Indoor is kind of over the winter months, fall mm -hmm. and winter, mm -hmm. and then spring you go outside. Well, right at the beginning of the outdoor season, my junior year, um, one of the big events nationwide is the Kansas Relays. Okay. And I, we were there. We travel. We get in these vans and drive from Colorado up to Kansas. And we're out there. And long story short, I'd never been injured in my life as far as sports go. And the long and short of it is um, it was kind of a cold, overcast day. Uh, in preliminaries, I blew a hamstring very, very badly. Uh, first time it ever happened, I thought I was going to die. They're going to have to chop off my leg. Um, and over a period of many, many months, I went through you know rehab and all that stuff. And the start of my senior season, I went in and coach said, hey, I need to talk to you. Miles came in and said, look, if I could take your heart and the healthy legs of one of my other athletes, um, we'd have an Olympic champion. But I can't do that. And as a result, we've got to have you make a change. And I thought, oh, geez. And I was kind of wondering about it because my recovery had just not been complete. I Still to this day, if I go out and sprint on a tennis court for a ball, I feel it for a day or two later. So, wow. Um, but what he said, he says, look, here's what I want you to do. I love your attitude. I love your mindset. I love your can-do. I'm going to keep you on scholarship, but I need you to coach not only all of your peers in sprinting and all that, but I also have a summer program, a spring program, for young kids in the community. This is in Fort Collins, Colorado. Would you be willing to do that? And I just, I went from despair thinking, man alive, I wanted to do this for a career for a while, uh, to thinking, you know what? 
I also want to be a coach. I also want to be a teacher. And so I jumped into that. And so that got me through my senior year. But during that time, I was also working at a restaurant in Fort Collins. And I kept watching different people as I observed. And the people that I kept thinking, man, I want to be like Mike, if you will, mm-hmm. were these guys and gals. But they came in at the, in those days in a three-piece suit, whining and dining different individuals or couples over and over again, sometimes two and even three times in a day, a lunch, maybe an early dinner and a late dinner. And they so, always had pens so, on so, the... So was it the food or the business that attracted it you? It was the business. I mean, I was serving these people, but I kept thinking, man, these guys look sharp. There's always, you know, pens on the table. They're signing official looking contracts and stuff. And I'd get to listen in to some of the conversation. I'd never owned a home in my life at that point. I had no idea what was going on, but these guys were real estate people and they were Mm -hmm. some of the top realtors in the market. And then what started to happen, I'd look out the window, I'd kind of follow them discreetly out the door and they're pulling away in these new caddies and these new Lincolns and once in a while a BMW or Mercedes. And I thought, I want to do that. That looks like what I think business should be like and I want to be like that. So I got my license, got involved, um, got out of school, was already working, got my real estate license, had my broker's license within a year, started my own company about six months after that, um, and had a grand old time. And by the way, it was at that point, the second, I actually, the third year into my real estate career, when someone accidentally gave me access to a little typewriter looking device with a couple couplers for ear cups on the top, which was called a Texas Instruments Silent 700. Mm-hmm. And what it was was a terminal that you'd put your handset for the old-fashioned phone yep. into, and you'd hit a button, and you got that old, and it would dial and connect in to a brand-new early-stage service called Electronic Multiple Listings. And I was involved in Fort Collins. I happened to, at that time, to be serving because I was a political science major, so I love that kind of thing. I was involved as the chairman of the multiple listing service, which up till then had basically been a fat paper book that we got every week with all the new listings and the price changes and all that. Well, I watched this and I played with this and it blew my mind. I remember sitting in my room at home late at night doing research and playing with this thing thinking, this literally, I I could run the world from this little terminal. I didn't know what a computer was. I never coded in my life. So from there... Um, I started using it, and my business did triple or more what it had ever done in the past. And people started to come to me and say, what are you doing? Well, we were a pilot for this program with McGraw-Hill at the time. Mm-hmm. We were the first board in Fort Collins that had this. And people said, you got to show me this. What is it? So I'd get them signed up, and I didn't get paid or anything for it. But I was just enthusiastic about this technology to help me sell more and serve our clients. So from there, I started getting invitations. The next thing you know, I had people in other board of realtors in, in the Colorado saying, can you come to our board and speak to us and tell us what this new technology is about and what we should be aware of? So I started doing that. And then I made it to a couple national um, NAR conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, national said, Association of Realtors. Thank you. And said they said, hey, tell us about this. So we did a couple workshops, and people kept coming up and saying, man, is this, is this real? Are you really able to do these things? And I think what I learned there was two things. Technology is a powerhouse if you learn how to use it and, and you know really understand how to use the technology. 
And secondarily, most people are afraid of technology and as a result will follow the curve rather than lead the curve. Mm -hmm. And that realization helped me throughout. But what it also did, it showed me, look, I got to get it. This, now these, start, these computers started to come on board, the early Commodore 64s and then later computers and even Radio Shack computers before. And I started playing with them as a hobby. But I started realizing I, don't, I can't just run my company from this and my business from this. I could run the world from these little <laughs> spreadsheet kind of things. And I remember the day when I was introduced to a program that was loaded on my little computer via a tape deck, and it was a mail merge program. So a word processor with mail merge from a database of customers, or in my case, people that lived in a certain neighborhood. We called a farm area. Mm -hmm. And I hit the button, and it made custom letters for like 200 people, addressed to them personally, had their own um, unique, you know, their uh, mailing address and all that. And I was sold. I thought, wow, this will literally change my life. And it has, because ever since then, I ended up getting leaving the real estate business, selling my brokerage, closing our offices, moved to Seattle, because I heard that there was a lot of technology up here. And I, I really loved the market. I'd been up here a couple times on vacation. And I kept hearing about this little company that was just in the very early days called Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't smart enough or well-educated enough to get a job there because this was for the really big head Todd kind of people, right? Right. But what I knew was I don't care because I don't want to learn how to code. I want to learn how to sell this technology and train business people on how to use computers. It wasn't really being done much. It was still a hobby kind of a thing for most people. And you'd put your, I remember the, the typical explanation was, well, you could put your recipes on there and your mailing card, uh, your mailing list for Christmas cards and that kind of thing. But I, as a business owner and a business person, saw immediately how if you take this and you leverage the tech, it was there. So that's how I got into sales. Um, I, and I've, I've never left it. And thank goodness, early on, I was uh, fortunate enough um, to be able to be exposed to some very successful people in sales with high integrity, with character, and they lived their life in a way that I wanted to, to live mine. So what was your aha moment in sales? You know, the moment where it started all making sense. Wow, probably the first real estate commission I got. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I sat there in a the room and watched a, and I remember my first sale was actually, I had sold a home, I wasn't the listing agent. So back in those days, the listing agent and uh, the owners of the, of the house and me as the selling agent and the buyers all sat in a room at a bank or a title company. We closed the deal, right? And I remember watching the, the, the relief and the release from the buyers as they signed the papers that they now sold their home so they could move on to whatever it was they did. But they had, they had achieved their goal through my efforts. Mm -hmm. And then I watched the joy, the sheer, unbelievable joy of the people that I helped buy this house. In, in this case, it was their first home. I remember specifically, it was a, a very young couple, recently married. He was an engineer at HP in Loveland, Colorado, and she worked at HP in some other function. I don't remember what it was. I don't think she was a, an engineer, but I'm not sure about mm -hmm. that. And it literally, I mean, they were giddy. For weeks and months after that, I'd get a call or I'd stop by and say, hey, how are things going? And I'd get hugs and high fives. and just, They were just ecstatic. And I thought, wow, I got paid a nice chunk of money 
And look at the joy that I brought to people because I did a good job. And that's not you know, relegated purely to selling somebody a home. I mean, even in the business-to-business space, I mean, if you solve a problem for somebody and you make their life better in some dimension, they're going to be happy. Absolutely. I, I would tell you that the biggest paychecks I've had over the years, and there's been, I've been really blessed and lucky in my career, there's never been a check that was greater in payment than the smiles and the joy that comes from doing something that will make a big impact on the recipient's life. I, I truly say that with all sincerity. It just makes my day when someone goes, damn it, I love what you've done for me. Right, and I think that too often sellers sort of overlook this fact that, yeah, you might be selling to a company, but it's individuals that are going to benefit from this. There's an individual making the decision that is the one that, it could be the business owner, it could be you know a C-level person, it could just be a functional manager that's responsible for that. You make their life better, you make them more successful, you're doing your job. Absolutely. Well, you know, look, I'm a big believer. I think most people, especially in business, have a list, a to-do list that's on their desk or on their phone or in the old days in their little journal they had every day, but they are reminded of it all the time. And even as a buyer, buyers have a list of things they got to get accomplished. And I have yet to meet a buyer that doesn't want to buy something. And, I, and I've learned over the years, don't these people aren't there to make my life miserable. They want to check this off the list. They mm-hmm. want to get it done. My job is to help answer the questions, give them the comfort, understand what they're trying to do, and guide them and make it easy to make the decision so they can take this item off of their to-do list. Right. No, I agree 100%. I mean, that's something I write about in my books is it's not more complicated than that, right? Yeah. Buyers really are just isn't. trying to accomplish a job. You can make them successful. You know, for everybody listening, if you can make your customers successful, then you'll be successful as well. Absolutely. And what's fun is if you have the chance, because a lot of times in my career, it was B2B um, sales and usually larger companies, and it was technology most of my career. And um, more, most times I wasn't able to meet down to the end user level who would be the recipient of what we just sold, the, mm-hmm. the technology, the mm-hmm. solution. But sometimes I was able to. And to listen to the before and the after stories, again, it just made you smile. It's like, damn, I, I've got a good solution here. This really is working to help people. All right, we're going to take a short break now. We'll be back after the break with Miles Austin. Share with us more of his stories about how to amp up your business with technology. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. All right, we're back with our guest, Miles Austin. So, Miles, we were just talking about helping make our customers successful. So let's change the nature of the debate or the discussion a little bit here is you led some major sales teams at some pretty big companies like Dell during some of their go-go periods. I mean, what did you learn about scaling a sales organization and scaling it quickly during your experiences there? Well, I, you know, <laughs> I look back, I got goosebumps when you said that because I would tell you when I went to Dell, um, it was in the early days and they were just starting to really go nuts. And I had never, I went to Dell to run the inside sales team for large corporate accounts. 
I'd never done inside sales. I always looked at and viewed inside sales as kind of a training ground for real salespeople who were on the outside. They were the outbound right. people, right? Right. And again, this is a lot has changed since then. This has been many years ago now. But what I learned pretty quickly was is if I go in with a closed mind, I'm going to fail pretty darn quickly because what I started to realize was open my mind and observe and learn from my team as well as me sharing my experience, et cetera, with them. And what I came to realize was the power of a focused, concentrated sales effort without too many distractions. So let me use an example, mm -hmm. right? I came from companies where we were selling HP and IBM and Compaq and you name it, and we're all over the map. We're selling servers and desktops and laptops and whatever it was we were selling, it, routers and all that. When I got to Dell, Dell had two basic product lines. They had a, um, a consumer line and a business line, and the business line was called Optiplex. Right. In Optiplex, all I had to sell was a one desktop and then a few variations few uh, variations on configuration and one laptop that was it well they didn't want to spoil you well you know what's funny i thought man this is nuts how are you gonna but here's what was really fun is i was there i was fortunate enough to be there when dell decided to go into the server business right and i mm -hmm. was i was mr cool i kind of puffed out my chest i said look guys i came from the channel you know we're let, let me make it really clear. We're not going to have success here because we don't have system engineers. You need technical people to sell these things. And then I sat back. I said, but I want to see how we do, right? Well, here's what I learned. Relationship wins out every time in a sales endeavor compared to those that don't have it. Pretty powerful for me because what I saw was individuals with no technical background but it developed over a period of you know months or even years with some of our reps there at the time, had developed a level of trust and mm -hmm. a relationship where the company trusted what the sales rep was presenting and knew that whatever happened, they would be taken care of. So it was enough no. to get in the door. I mean, you're a brand new offering compared to these other guys. That trust, that relationship was the door opener. Absolutely. And I, and I watched with amazement as... You know, Mr. Mr. This will never work because you don't have system engineers on every call and it has to be whiteboarded out and all that. I watched literally within within that first year, we went from selling a server to someone as kind of a trial and just test it out and see what you think. And if you don't like it, send it back to selling pallets and pallets of servers to people. I remember one of our big customers at the time was NASDAQ during the NASDAQ boom years, mm -hmm. stock splits and all the crazy stuff that was going and I was just dazzled. And I got to tell you, honestly, um, with all respect to the individual rep, she had no clue what I.O. was or any of the other basic activities for servers. Didn't matter. She understood and made the customer, um, gave them availability to anything and everything that they had questions to. And the trust with the company as large and as significant and as important as NASDAQ was willing to put that trust in an individual salesperson, plus the company behind it had done well for them over the years, right? Sure. I mean, they had earned that. But that rep was unbelievably crucial. 
So I think I learned from that is two things I learned is don't ever underestimate whatever your role is within an organization, specifically a sales organization. And I left with a very deep respect for inside salespeople because I realized in many cases that can be your only contact with the customer and it allowed Dell to scale to your original question. Because now I wasn't in a car with the sales rep making four or five calls a day in person. I could make 30 or 40 calls in a day and never leave the comfort of my desk and be much more effective and have all the technology for measurement and monitoring and everything else as it developed. So I'm going to go back and explore a couple of points you brought up before. One is you talked about keeping an open mind. Because mm-hmm. I think this is a big thing because I've, I've written about this recently about the biases, the built-in biases that salespeople have. And it's it's true in numerous professions. Uh, you know, the example I gave in the blog poster was my wife is a medical educator and they teach prospective doctors that they have, studies have shown they have up to 125 biases doctors have to work through in order to arrive at a diagnosis, right? Yeah. Um, yep. So how do you train people to have an open mind? I mean, you're talking to a salesperson or you're a sales manager in charge of, of a sales team. How do you do that? Well, I, two things. I think mentoring is something that I've always benefited from. Uh, and I'm convinced that the easiest way to demonstrate this power is experience. You know, when you get older, you, this all becomes pretty darn clear to us, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that ability to take someone who's new, who really is early in their sales career, and mentor, um, uh, bring them a partner, a mentor. Doesn't have to be people sitting side by side establish a true mentoring program where they can sit once a week, once a month, once a day, doesn't matter, and just kind of talk and explore and say, how are you handling this, Andy? I, I, I came up with this, the customer was upset, or the customer asked for something I knew I didn't have the ability to deliver. How do you handle that? And for you then, as the seasoned pro who understands this at a deeper level, to share that. Mentoring to me face-to-face, direct, or over the phone, doesn't matter, um, is probably the fastest way to transfer knowledge, um, the, 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 the old term tribal knowledge, from one person to another um, in a sales organization. Mentoring works. So if you're a small business owner and you've got a small sales team, maybe you don't have a sales manager, how does CEO go about that? Uh, two things. I think, first of all, um, you've got to see who in your organization has that capability and identify that person. If not, then I think what you've got is an ample selection of people and companies to pick from to find someone that can be that trainer, that mentor in that role, especially in the early days. Because if you think about it, if you're a small company, maybe just one or even two salespeople, well, it's pretty easy to find, um, I won't say it's easy, It's uh, there's a lot of choices for you to go find someone that can come to your company and serve in that role. And again, you can structure it in a lot of different ways, but the ability to be there as someone to counsel, to guide. And I think a lot of times human nature is we're going to find our way given a little bit of guidance and kind of like the, the bumpers in the bowling lane, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you put those bumper um, pads in those ends in the, in the alleys there, so you can kind of just keep the ball going straight, but you don't need to do too much. I think what I, my own experience in a way is if you give me a manager or a mentor that's telling me exactly step-by-step, word-for-word what to do, I'll probably fail because I'm not he or she, right? Right. But, but give me the guidance. Keep me in the lane 
with a little bumping here and there, but keep me moving down the path. Yeah, I agree. I think the easiest way to train people, salespeople, and the best way they learn is through seeing how other people model that particular behavior that they know how to emulate. Absolutely. So the same thing applies to building relationships. And you got a new rep. Yeah, how do you how do you help them learn how to build a solid relationship with a client? To me, I would tell you that the most valuable sales skill I've ever been taught is how to listen. Every time I talk, I'm at jeopardy of talking myself out of a sale. And look, I speak for a living, right? I make a living talking. So that's kind of scary to admit, but the truth is I do. If I my mouth is open, the odds of me closing a sale successfully go down. Mm-hmm. When my mouth is closed and both ears and a pen in my hand or a some way to remember and capture sincere feedback from a client and just their own sharing of what they're dealing with and what their challenges are, whatever it might be, product-specific or solution-specific or general, the more I can listen, the more successful I will be in a sales role. Couldn't agree more. I think it's a great lesson for everybody out there that's listening to this is, well, not helping redundant. They need to learn how to listen, right? Absolutely. And it's hard. I mean, you know, I think sales in general, the the perception or the stereotype is some, you know, guy in the used car lot with a flashy jacket just flapping his gums and saying, yeah, we should do this. Wait a minute. I was just going to ask directions to the gas station. Well, no, you should buy this and that. No, that's not what I'm even here for. So it well, is important. Right. And I think part of that comes from salespeople, you know, if they're uncertain about what they should say, you know, they're trying to guess at what the customer wants to hear. And that's what causes a lot of that, to my mind, that's what causes a lot of that unnecessary talking. Yep. Right? So to your point, you don't have to worry about that if you just ask a question and listen. Then you never have to worry about what you need to talk about. I remember an early day sales trainer in my real estate days, one of the one of the training events I went to, the seminars, was when you ask a question, shut up. Because the first person that talks after you've asked the question loses. And I thought, okay, well, and obviously today losing doesn't mean it's bad for them, but the ne- if you ask a question, the next person that talks loses. Mm-hmm. And I, many times, I'll think, okay, and it's hard sometimes. When you ask a question, uh, general or specific to a making a sale, and you're quiet, it could seem like five minutes of dead silence. And really, it's only probably five or six seconds, because you know what I learned is, if it's uncomfortable for me, it's probably uncomfortable for them. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think for young salespeople, they, they hate a vacuum, right? So there's a temptation to want to be able to fill in the vacuum by saying something. Um, which is the, the wrong response. You know, if you ask a question, as you, to your point, the first person to talk has to be the customer. Yep. Even if you know the answer. Absolutely. So back to you as a sales manager. So tell us what the biggest mistake you made as a sales manager and what was the lesson you learned from that? Um, boy, uh, there's a bunch. There's a bunch, Andy. I think some of the, the things that I look back on with with the most disappointment um, would be a belief that any, I, can, I can train or teach anyone to be a salesperson. Um, so maybe the, the, the short answer to that is selection of personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, it's, it's a lot harder than I thought and, and a lot harder than I ever wanted to admit early on anyway. Um, but there's a lot more to hiring than just a, 
you know, what are your qualifications? Are you from the industry? Do you know our technology? Do you know our solution, et cetera? Um, there's a lot more to it. And I think probably what I didn't learn early enough um, in my career in management was the, the function of career and personality. I mean, of um, um, culture and personality fit, mm-hmm. um, right? I mean, culture, uh, and there's a lot of really smart people out there that, are, that write about it and teach about it and, and speak on this. But culture can be a magic bullet. And if you get the culture right, everything else seems to start to fall in place. So how do you identify that fit for a culture? I can't tell you that I have it nailed. I can tell you that it, some of it is just gut from experience now. But I think maybe asking and learning more about the person in a non-specific sales kind of questioning will really bring that out. How do they handle certain things? What are their relationships like? How long are their relationships in their personal life? Are these people that, you know, maybe I I look back even from a dating standpoint, are these people that are dating someone new every weekend or do they have someone that they've been dating for two years or longer? Uh, Just some personality traits because sales to me is always a long-term game. For those people that are slam-bam type people, uh, at least for me, I probably won't enjoy being around them. And I think most customers don't want to be around that kind of a person in a sales relationship. Yeah, if they're so obvious that they're just looking for the next order. Absolutely. And it comes across pretty darn quickly. Mm-hmm. No, I agree that it does. Well, I have a hypothetical scenario for you. Actually, I've got a couple, but let me give you one here before we end this segment of the show. You're a CEO or sales manager with a brand new product, innovative product. You know, perhaps you're actually creating a new category or market niche with it. What are the two most important things you need to do to build critical momentum for that new product, that innovation in the marketplace? Boy, one or two. I think two things. I think, first of all, I need to know if it's a, well, it'll, it'll vary a little bit. Let me, let me back up. The first thing I'll have to know is who else is in this space. And if there's no one else, if this is a brand new category or solution, then what I would do probably the first thing is, is I want to go out through lots of ways online and otherwise and find out who influencers are of the people that I want to sell my product or my solution to. Mm -hmm. So identify influencers. And second of all, identify where the people that I want to talk to as customers are hanging out, right? And by hanging out, I mean, are they are they in a, you know, in a social platform like a LinkedIn or a Facebook or Twitter? Are they involved in certain associations? But I want to understand where they're hanging out because, you know, the age-old adage, you want to fish where the fish are, um, can save you a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I love to fish. I'll tell you a fishing story later, that a lesson I learned. But, <laughs> but what was really fun for me is I, I can go and have all the right equipment. I can be prepared, trained, equipped. And I'm fishing in a lake that I found out later they had just treated for some algae, and I didn't get a bite for a day. Right. And at the end of the day, some old guy said, by the way, how you doing? I said, I didn't get a bite. <laughs> and he kind of said, hey, come here a minute. He came, walked me over a little bit and pointed to a sign that said, um, no fishing allowed. We just treated blah, blah, blah. And I thought, once again, I'm all ready to go. I jumped in. I didn't do my homework. I didn't identify if the fish, if my customers are in that pond, if you will, in that lake. I wasted a lot of time. So to summarize, one is find out who the influencers are that your potential customers pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And so there's people that you want to go then and talk to and help educate them about your product or your new product or service so they can in turn can educate your customer, their trusted advisors to your customers. That's a great one. And then the second one is find out where your customers are hanging out 
online or at trade shows or associations and approach them, try to intersect with them somewhere in their lives when they're interacting online or in those associations. I would agree. I think those two are there because, um, in my opinion, again, I you know I'm a sales guy. I'm always looking. If there's an easier shortcut to do it, I, I want to explore it. And I think the easiest sale, I think most of us would agree, is a sale from a referral or a recommendation, right? right. And with the advent and the explosion of social media, that's becoming more and more prominent. Some studies say between 47 and 67 percent of us will buy a product based on a recommendation of a friend or someone we respect. So, I mean, they don't even have to say, go sell that product for me as an influencer. They just need to talk about it and, and endorse or just say, you know what, this is something you guys should check out. That plays wonders, especially in the startup when no one knows what your product or service is. Hi, this is Andy. You just listened to part one of my conversation with Miles Austin. Part two is going to be available on October 21st. If you want to make sure you don't miss it, go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast. You'll not only be notified about that conversation, but all the other amazing conversations we're having with incredible experts that can give you information to help you amp up and accelerate your business. So until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.